Well, I'm so glad that you joined us. Uh, it's Advent, and some of you have been, you started on December 1st. Uh, some of you are like, oh yeah, it's Advent. And Advent is the season where every day we remind ourselves of our expectation of the birth of Christ, that he's being birthed uh, into this Christmas, into our hearts this year. And joining me today is the most reverend uh, Adrian from our Walnut Creek campus. Adrian, thanks for, um, thanks for doing this with me. This oh, will be course. a great Bible study. Uh, but before we dig in, Talk to me about growing up. You grew up in a Christian home, uh, Orthodox? Yeah, well, my, my dad's from Greece, and uh, so he was Greek Orthodox. He was an altar boy in Greece, and my mom grew up in a nun-run Catholic orphanage in Guatemala, and so we were brought up in the Orthodox Church, but, um, but I wasn't Orthodox. I wasn't a believer. I was an atheist growing up. Wait, and, what? Yeah, and I, and I told my parents that, too. I told my, I remember the conversation with my dad that I don't believe there's a God and that going to church is a waste of time. Oh my God. <laughs> and this was in junior high. Your and parents I, must have been like, <clears throat> yeah, what I thought, have we done wrong? <laughs> yeah, I can just I see a Greek dad. The Greek Orthodox <laughs> altar boy dad. Yeah. yeah, that didn't go over well. Yeah. But yeah, that was growing up. We, so uh, was Christmas fun for you? Was it? Christmas was a lot of fun because, you know, my dad would, we would do Christmas Eve, we would have lamb. And because my dad, growing up in Greece, he was a shepherd. He literally watched sheep. And so that was his tradition. So he would come up here. He came out here and we had lamb for dinner. And uh, so he would I just remember, go to Safeway and they yeah, had lamb. No, no. He, he would go, he would drive out to Half Moon Bay because Half Moon Bay lambs are better, I guess. I don't know. Um, and he would come back and we would have lamb for Christmas Eve dinner. Wow. And then my mom, being from Guatemala, would make tamales, which are like Mexican tamales. But well, they kind of aren't, though. Yeah, they're wrapped in uh, banana leaves. Yeah, and, and don't so you kind of, when you open it, it's kind of all the steam and, and everything comes oh, out. Yeah, and so you're making me hungry. That would be Christmas Day. We'd get up, and that would be breakfast, and we would graze throughout the day in our pajamas, and we'd open some presents and eat a little. Then we'd open some more presents and eat yeah. a little bit more. And but so here that you was are fun. This, I mean, you shouldn't have been. A, you're an atheist. Yeah. Why are you doing <laughs> celebrating Jesus' birthday? Well, I, I wanted the presents. <laughs> but what about you? I mean, you grew up in a Christian home, and. Yeah. Right. You know, we're, the series we're doing is seen and known, you know, and when did you recognize that truth as you were growing up? Man, I don't remember a time when I didn't really recognize. I mean, my parents were great Christian parents uh, and not just at Christmas. I mean, year round, we had this little uh, plastic. It looked like a, a loaf of bread and the top was cut out and they had these cards and you we would pull out these cards and my dad would read a scripture. It was like daily bread. And he would read a scripture and then he would ask us to discuss it. So even when we were little kids, you know, and they would prompt us and help us like understand. Uh, but, and then Christmas, yeah, the presents and Santa and all that. But I always had an awareness that this is the celebration of the birth of Christ. Yeah. Uh, and grew up with the old Christmas carols, which the verses of those are theologically strong. And... Uh, but then, you know, as I got older, I think Jesus became a lot more personal to me uh, in those teenage years and uh, became my, like, that was my Lord and Savior coming at Christmas. Yeah. So I'd say all my life. Huh. It's interesting because, you know, you mentioned your parents' role in your life. And I know for us at Christmas, a couple of days before Christmas Eve, my parents would have all the kids sit around the kitchen table and we would read the gospel account of Jesus' birth. So what were you thinking when you were reading? Uh, I was thinking, when can I be done? Uh, it was, I just remember thinking that it was a story. It was a fairy tale. 
and it had no power and no meaning to me at that time. Um, so how did you get from there to where you are now? Well, I, I started going to a little youth group, a little church across the bay. Um, and I remember asking the youth pastor, hey, can I still come even though I'm an atheist? I'm not one of you guys, I remember I said. Um, and I went and over the years, around 16 or 17 years old, was when I first came to faith. Mm. And you know, the, the stuff that our parents poured into us didn't go to waste. The, the, the memory of the story right. of Jesus and the gospel that I read. It was all there, you it had was there, it. But I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see it as true. But now you accessed it. Yeah, and I remember that first Christmas after I came to faith, I think in September or October, and I remember my first Christmas waking up and almost this flood of all the things that I had read and known about Jesus, but wow. had thought were a fake story, now knowing that it was a true story, it was a very emotional first Christmas, first real Christmas for me, as I realized Jesus came and went through everything he did because he loved us so much. Oh man, you know, Adrian, I think even as you're talking, I think there's some parents that are getting some comfort mm. and taking hope. Uh, some parents whose kids aren't yeah. following Christ yet. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would, I would just encourage you that you may have a kid that like me says to your face, there is no God, it's not true, this book is filled with fairy tales. Um, but when they turn 17, they may come back and say, hey, I discovered who Jesus is mm. and their life, life may be changed. God isn't done with them yet, just like he wasn't done with me yet. Mm. And so don't give up hope. Um, that would be the main thing I would say to parents. Well, that's the story of Advent. Don't give up yeah, hope. Absolutely. Christ is coming. So yeah. our job today, we're, we're not going to be in the New Testament story. No, mostly in the Old Testament because, you know, we think that the Christmas story, usually it started. Yeah, in Matthew, Exactly, Luke. but the reality is it starts way earlier. It starts Book of Genesis. In Genesis, yeah, in the beginning, you know. I mean, it really starts with God creating everything and creating this beautiful garden, right? You remember he creates this beautiful, not that you were there, but. I remember. <laughs> he creates this beautiful garden and then he makes man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he places them in the garden. And you know, he says there are two trees in the middle of the garden. One is the tree of eternal life. And the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, don't eat that tree, it'll kill you. Mm -hmm. If you eat that tree, you're gonna die. Mm -hmm. And Adam and Eve, you know, later on, we don't know how much longer we just see them hanging out by the tree. Which, not a good idea. Yeah, um, the, you know, the serpent shows up and says, hey, why don't you eat from that tree? Right. And Eve says, rightly, hey, if we eat, we're gonna die. And he says, surely you're not gonna die. That's not what God meant. God, yeah, God, he just doesn't want what's best for you. He doesn't want you to be like him and know good and evil. And so we see at that point that Adam and Eve choose to gain that knowledge for themselves they eat that fruit and then we're led into what we describe as the fall. Everything gets kind of messed up and it's a heartbreaking passage, um, but explains why we are the way we are. But it makes me wonder like, Steve, why do you think Adam and Eve couldn't, didn't pass that test? Hmm. Probably because God told them, he gave them a prohibition. Yeah. There was one command in the garden, that was it. And that was one command too many. And they, they proved that they didn't trust God. They proved that they were susceptible to temptation. Um, that probably was very hurtful to God after all he had done for them, for them to just say, well, he said this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it anyway. And uh, you know, God has our best interest at heart, but aren't we all like that? I mean, don't we all 
Uh, I remember even when I was a youth pastor, you know, I would tell kids like, God will save you from falling into the pit. And if you fall into the pit, he'll save you out of the pit. But it'd be a lot easier if you would just take my advice. Yeah. But I remember so many kids, it was like, no, I'm not gonna do that. And you know, we would, we'd have to help them after they had really hurt themselves or hurt somebody else or years later um, out of addiction because they had to see for themselves. And so there's always consequences. You know, in Genesis 3, uh, we see immediately the consequences of sin, even before they're expelled from the garden. Genesis 3, 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And that's just such a, that's crazy. Like, I was afraid because I was naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Yeah. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman that you placed with me here, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. So he's like, he's not going to take the blame. And then God says to the woman, well, what is it you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me uh, and I ate. And so you see this really sad thing that happens. God gives them an opportunity to confess um, and they don't. Uh, they don't, they just blame. And they say, well, it's not, you know, it's not my fault. Uh, you, you shouldn't have put the tree here. You shouldn't have put this woman here. Or you shouldn't have put the serpent here. Uh, and, and, you know, what comes to mind when you read that story? What, yeah. You know, when, when God, when they hear God, they, he's in the garden, they hide from him. Yeah. I, the first thing that comes to mind is the heartbreak because it, that's true, you know. We, for the first time, we see shame come into creation. Yeah. Shame because of sin, yeah. uh, because of disobedience. And Adam and Eve discover that they were naked, yeah. you know, and it makes them hide. It makes them run and hide because up until that point, up until they ate the fruit. They had nothing to hide. They had nothing to hide. They, God saw them as they were, knew them as they were, and it was good and it was healthy and it was right the way we were designed to live. But then sin enters into the world and all of a sudden, the oh no, fear, God sees me. Exactly. The fear of being known, of being seen and someone else knowing what's in my heart, knowing what I'm really like, mm -hmm. makes us want to cover up. And that is the, the heartbreaking consequence of sin. It, it makes us run away from what we actually need. Yeah. The, ver the, the moment when you need God the most, yeah. you run from him. And you know, we're like that with people too. When we have yeah. secret sin and we hide it, um, we are so isolated yeah. from that point on because we don't want to be seen and known for who we uh, really are. And uh, plus the blame game. I mean, you know, we yeah. do that too. Yeah, it's not my fault. My, you know, I blame my parents for... I love that Adam literally blames everyone he's ever met. Yeah. God, the woman, everybody that I've ever met. Yeah, and she throws in them for good. She yeah. throws in the serpent. Yeah, you forgot yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and just that they don't own it. They don't confess no. um, sin. And that keeps them in a fallen state. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, fortunately the story doesn't end there because that's Genesis 3 where the Christmas yeah. story starts. Uh, and when God says to the serpent, actually, he promises Christmas. 
Uh, he says, I'm going to send uh, a descendant of Eve to crush your head. And uh, that is a powerful thought that out of this fallen marriage yeah. is going to come redemption. And we know that one of her descendants is um, the Lord Jesus Christ. From a woman will come the one who will save the world. Yeah. So. You know, and the, the thing, like you mentioned, that, that pattern is still lived out today. And we see it even in Adam and Eve's kids, mm -hmm. that pattern of hiding and keeping things away from God that we shouldn't. We see Cain and Abel, right. you know, the, the boys of Adam and Eve, we see that Cain is hiding. He's got a, a, something in his relationship with God is painful to him. Right, and he sees that Abel has a good relationship Right, with and he's jealous. But what does he do with that? Yeah, rather than going to God and saying, hey, this is what's going on, he takes matters into his own hands and he, he takes his brother Abel out in the field, bashes him in the head and kills him, the first murder. My goodness. And, and we see God come on the scene again and give Cain the opportunity to confess. Yeah, what does he say? He says, where's your brother? Where's your brother? And God knows where his yeah, brother yeah, is. Yeah, right. God isn't fooled. God knows exactly what's happened, but he's doing this for, for Cain's benefit so that Cain could say, hey, listen, I lost control of what's I've going on inside. Thing. Yeah. And yeah. rather than confess, he just he just continues with the lie. He says, How am I supposed to know? Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. And that that heartbreak for God, I think, continues because God doesn't even answer. He doesn't even answer. I God's love, just silent. God doesn't even give him the answer because at this point, everything that Cain has seen from how God has treated his parents. Right. It's of and course hearing you're that your story. brother's exactly. keeper. Of course you're your brother's keeper. Mm. In the same way that we are. Right. In the same way that we are created by God to be our brother's keeper. Right. To care for and love and serve those around us. To love our neighbors. And God knows, God sees when we are loving and serving actively our neighbors. And he also sees when we're not. You know, this isn't even, I just had this thought that as I was driving over here, uh, to, to t today, I saw some of our people down at a homeless encampment unloading food. And I thought, we're going to talk about, am yeah. I my brother's keeper? And I thought about Cornerstone people yeah. this Christmas. And you've seen it so much too. And there's so much need this year. Yeah. And for Cornerstone people to just step up and go, yeah, I'm my brother's keeper. I think and that's one of the greatest blessings for me this Christmas season is to be a part of a community that is doing exactly what you're saying. Hmm. That is taking action to be, to love their neighbors, to be their brother's keeper. And even those who have offended us. And this is where um, God's nature comes out. In the Old Testament, predating the coming of Christ, God has this name that describes him in Hebrew, yeah. chesed, chesed. And this, this word is 248 times in yeah. the Old Testament describing God as, and the word means, um, infinitely gracious or long suffering, like always quick to forgive. And I love that image of God. Uh, it's a love that doesn't give up. It's a love that like when you're a 15 year old saying there is no God, yeah. God's like, you know, I still believe in you. Yeah. You'll, you'll come around. And, uh, uh, and God, God saw you for who you were. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came for us. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of, uh, I was doing a premarital counseling. I was marrying this couple and I was doing their counseling. And every time I do that, I'll ask each one, each individual, why do you think Jesus came to earth? And I asked the groom and the groom was a seminary student, really, really smart guy. 
And I asked him, why do you think Jesus came to earth? Wait, I think I know who you're talking about. Yes, you do. <laughs> does he own a coffee shop? Yes, he does. Okay, all right. <laughs> and all so right. Paul right. said, <laughs> his, his answer was incredibly well thought out. He, he talked oh, about yeah, atonement. He talked about glorification mm -hmm. and sanctification. All the words. All of them. And it was, he could have turned in that paper in Why seminary. Jesus came. Yeah. A plus. And, and he was super proud of himself, as he should be. And he looked at his soon-to-be wife and he said, beat that. And so we kind of <laughs> chuckled and I turned to her and uh, I said, hey, um, why do you think Jesus came to and earth? Elena said, and Elena said, because I need him. And the groom, the yeah, the groom turned and looked at me and we nodded our heads and he said, you win. That's because that's the truth. It's simplistic, but it's more true Jesus than anything else. Jesus came to earth. Because I need him. Yes, and it wasn't because mankind, it, yes, mankind does. I need him, you needed Jesus, we all need Jesus. But the, the intimacy of I need Jesus, and that's why Jesus came to this world, because we needed him, and God knew that. And we see the Bible tell us over and over right. again, hey, I know things are rough, but the Messiah is coming. And I want you to come in this direction. Exactly. I'm going to move you here. I'm going to do this. Like, think about Abraham. Yeah. So many of the things that we read in the Bible so point to Jesus coming. So if you're not familiar with the book of Genesis, it's not just about creation. It's this no, redemption absolutely. story. Yeah. And there's this guy, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and they start off as, they're pagans. In, in Iraq, in modern day Iraq. Right. Ur. And God says, I'm the real God. Come follow me. Come. And they, do. and they do. Which is amazing. And Abraham follows. Right. And at a certain point, God says to Abraham. He makes these promises. Yeah, right? he, he's constantly Huge. promising to Abraham different things. And the first time he says, hey, all the people on earth will be blessed through you. How is that gonna happen? And, and Abraham's, that's all he's given. And But later on, God gives him a little bit more and a little bit more, gives him more specifics. You're gonna have a son. Yeah. Now they're really old and they, so far they haven't populated the earth. Right, and they have. And then God speaks to Abraham and what does he say? He gives him Isaac. Well, and he says, Abraham, take Isaac, your son that you've been waiting for up to the top of Mount Moriah. And, and make a sacrifice of him. Of your son. Yeah, of your son Which, that you loved and to raised. Us, that's crazy. But if you study the Chaldeans, yeah. uh, the Canaanites were the same way. They would often sacrifice their firstborn son so that they would have success in life. I mean, that's terrible, but yeah. that's what they did. And so, so Abraham's thinking, that's what God okay. wants me to do, I guess. Well, and through his journey, the one thing that he's learned is you obey God. He's got the power to do whatever he wants to do. So you obey and you follow and trust God. And he takes Isaac up to the top of Mount Moriah. He's got wood for the fire. He's got a knife. He's got rope to bind him. And they get up, they build an altar. Wow. He ties up his son and he raises the knife and he's about to sacrifice him. And an angel shows up and stops, stops him, just says, hold on, hold on. Don't sacrifice your son. God will provide himself. Exactly. And there's a ram over there in that bush, sacrifice that ram. And so Abraham unties his son, brings over the ram and sacrifices that ram. And everyone's listening going, what does this have to do with Advent? Right but let's land the plane. Well, and that's when the angel shows up again. And this is what the angel says. The Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Listen you. to that, your son, your only, your only son. son. What God is doing, he's foreshadowing. Exactly. Go ahead, yeah. He says, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Yeah, 
And location is everything. Yeah, right. Because they are on the top of Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah later in the time of David is called Mount Zion. Yep. In the, the New top, Testament, the top of Mount Zion is Calvary. is Calvary. Where Jesus was sacrificed. By his father. Yeah. So God's saying, look, the redemption story is, is going to involve a father like you, Abraham, yeah. and a son like Isaac, only the it's father your will son. sacrifice. Yeah. And, and then later John will say, the perfect lamb of God who takes away exactly. the sins um, of the world. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right, so let's review. Adam, Eve. Yeah. Um, Abraham. The serpent's head's going to be crushed. Abraham. And then now Abraham has Isaac. Isaac, Isaac has Jacob. Jacob is also known as Israel. Israel. And he has 12 sons. Right. The 12 tribes of right. Israel. And one of them, Judah, is told, hey, the ancestor of Judah will be the chosen one. In Genesis 49.10, we read, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the nations will obey him. So that's pointing to Christ. Yeah. The Lion of Judah. Uh, so we haven't even gotten out of Genesis yet and already the plan is in play. Yeah. So we get into Exodus. God pulls Moses aside in the wilderness and God says this, I've seen them, I've heard them. Look at what he says. Yeah. Exodus 3, 7. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. Yeah. Such a personal God. Yeah. So, so intimate. Like I see him, I hear him, I'm concerned. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that repeated. God saying, I see you, I know you, I'm going to th fix things for you. And I'm, I've got a plan in play. Yeah. And just follow and obey me. And that's the hope of Advent. Yeah. That God will show up that God will fix things because he sees us and he knows us and he will make everything right. And, and that is why Jesus came. Right, so we get out of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're in the wilderness and God yeah. provides the law, but God in the law provides the tabernacle and with, within the tabernacle yeah. structure is the sacrifice so that the, the blood of the animals covers sin. That's what atonement means. Now it can't take away the sins, that's Jesus. He takes away the sins of the world. But until then, God provides animal sacrifice and these rituals that cover people's sins. And, uh, and so you've got this tabernacle ritual. And if you've ever seen the pictures of the tabernacle, it's this tent. And then the, the floor of the tabernacle is just the desert floor. And so you've got the priests uh, uh, killing the animals. And then they're taking the sacrifice this way. And then they're walking this way. They're walking this way. They're walking this way. And um, they're creating this path and then the tabernacle, God, God, the cloud moves and God says, we're moving. Yeah. And so they pack everything up and they move. And what have they left there? The tabernacle floor looks like a cross and with blood at the head, blood at the, the, the feet. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. Yeah. And then they do it again. All over the desert floor for God to look down and see are all these images of the cross. And I kind of yeah. think God just did it for himself. Yeah. Um, just to say, you're just the angels. Look, I, even right now in Leviticus, yeah. we're thinking about the cross of Christ where God is going to fix everything. Yeah. Well, and God continues, I mean, through scripture, continually foreshadowing. Taking them into the coming. promised land yeah. and their leader is named Joshua or Yeshua in Hebrew or Yesu in Greek, which we translate into Jesus. Jesus. Right, same name. So Jesus leads God's people into the promised land. Right. And they go in there and God provides that for them. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, the, the people say, we want a king. We want a king. We want someone to rule over us. And God relents and gives them a king. And then mm -hmm. he makes David 
David their king. Uh, and he's of the tribe of Judah. Judah. Through his line, and he's now the king. And David himself, King David in Psalm 110 writes that God has promised him that one of his descendants would rule forever mm. and would be David's Lord as well. Which you would never say of your descendant, especially yeah. in that patriarchal society. Your child would never be called your Lord. Right. But he's saying, my descendant will be uh, my Lord. And then Micah, he's the prophet that says, and guess where yeah. Messiah will be born? In the city of David, city of Bethlehem. Uh, Micah 5.2, but you Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler of Israel and then whose e origins are of old from eternity, eternity past. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and then Isaiah, Isaiah jumps yeah, in. Isaiah tells them that like, hey, more than that, the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. And here's what, let me read it. It's Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Hmm. And Emmanuel, Emmanuel means yeah. God with us. So and look, that's who Jesus was. Look for a virgin birth yeah. in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. There won't be many of those. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then a couple of chapters later, Isaiah describes Jesus when he says, for a child is yeah. born to us. A, a son is given to us. And, and, and the government will be on his shoulders and he's going to have wonderful names. He's a powerful God, a mighty counselor. Uh, and this is who we need our Messiah to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, for me, that, that's powerful and personal because it's that reminder that while I was at my most rebellious, mm -hmm. while I was denying who Jesus was and what he did, hurting myself and hurting others while I was still addicted to sin, Jesus still loved me. Jesus still knew me. He still saw me. And he made a way for me to be with him into eternity as only he could. He didn't give up on you. No, he didn't give up on me. Hmm. That chesed, long suffering in the midst of that. And, and the, the thing that's so beautiful is that's true of all of us. That's true of everyone. This is the human Amen. condition. And thank you know? God yeah. he didn't give up on yeah. us. And that's who we are. You know, we need a savior. We need a savior and God knowing our human condition, right. creating us with that option to choose and to, to follow God or to not follow God, God sent a savior for us. But I love the word savior because I don't need someone to just coach me and help me yeah. be better. Yeah. I need someone to rescue me. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's not just when I'm a teenager, that's no, even, even today. And I need a, someone to rescue me. I have felt many times this year, God, please redeem yeah. this time, redeem this year, redeem, hang on to our church, um, hang on to my family, uh, praying for our health. Uh, and that's what we're gonna celebrate. That's what we're celebrating at Advent is that as the Apostle Paul says, uh, Romans five, you see at just the right time, Christ came. And uh, you and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, how yeah. the timing of when Christ came was so powerful yeah. for actually a couple of really big reasons. Yeah, I mean, one of them was uh, Romans ro the Romans roads were developed so that they stretched across the empire. As much as the Roman empire was horrible, the, the beauty of it was that people could travel from the far east, from, from southern India up to you know Britain, what's Britain now, and bring with them ideas and could bring, because of the Greek language, which was the language of trade, the business language, 
they could all communicate and the gospel could be spread globally. So the gospel is written in Greek because Greek was a language everybody all over the world yeah. knew enough of it to read the Bible. Yeah. And Greek is a very simple language. Yeah. And so people could learn it as their second language. And that's why the truth mm -hmm. could spread so far and right wide. That's amazing. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates, I'm in Romans five, by the way, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Later, Jesus will come and uh, after the Old Testament and he will say, Everyone loves their friends. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Yeah. And then he demonstrated that by loving all of us right into the kingdom of God. Yeah. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas is that God loved us so much yeah. that he showed up. Yeah. And then when he showed up, he makes this tremendous sacrifice uh, yeah. just as a gift to us. Yeah. He, he makes himself the gift. To reconcile us to God, to bring people that were in open rebellion back into the family of God because... Wow because he sees us and he knows us. And Jesus made a way for us to see and know God, yeah. a God that already knew us, already saw us, already knew what the human condition was like in our struggles. And so- Remember when Philip said, show us the Father and that will be enough. Yeah. And Jesus said, you've seen if the you Father, see me, it's yeah. me, yeah. you've seen me. And that's, that's part of the beauty of Advent. And so this week, I think for us as a church, what would be an amazing blessing for each one of us as we prepare to celebrate Christmas is for us to take time and remind ourselves that God knows us. The good, the bad, everything, God knows us. Don't try to hide from God. Yeah, and, and he still, he loves us. He loves us desperately. The one who knows us the best loves us the most. Mm. And let's remind ourselves of that because that, that's why we celebrate Christmas. And, and any, any of you that have joined us today, don't be robbed of the beauty of Christmas just because 2020 has been rough. Mm, yeah. um, the word joy is joy to the world, not because the world is great, but joy to the world because the Lord has come. And so we repeat the sounding joy. We, we continue to bring joy into our households, into our relationships, into our conversations. And we say, I'm not waiting for the situation in the world to get better before I am going to celebrate the coming of Christ uh, into my life and into my home. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, let's pray. let's pray. Adrian, pray for us. Absolutely. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much. God, thank you for knowing us and, and seeing us as we truly are. Remind us that it's healthy for us to be known and to be seen and that we need to run towards you, not away from you. Lord, we just ask that we would, as Steve said, we would seek joy, not the world's joy, but supernatural joy that comes from knowing you and knowing that you are sovereign and in control. And let that be what drives our celebration. Build our expectation of Christmas, knowing that you're in control, that you know us, you see us, and you love us. And Jesus, let that be what drives our behavior. Let that be what drives what's in our heart and what's in our minds. We love you. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And now hold out your hands and let me bless you. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. 
May you experience joy as you accept the assignment of being your brother's keeper. May you find great joy in the story of Christmas that God came to be with us, that God came to save us, that God came in Christ Jesus. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.